because today's lesson is going to be a little tough. It's going to be uh, uh, tough to trudge through a little bit. We're going to be talking about Amazing Grace, uh, that song. I'm going to kind of start and end on that song. And I always had, I don't know if about you guys, uh, growing up in the church, I always had a hard time singing that one verse. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. <laughs> Do you guys know what I mean? It's always a little difficult because, wow, am I really a wretch? My goodness. That's a strong word. But we'll get to that a little bit later. So I'm going to start off with this little fun little video. So, recapping, we've been in Luke 15. Luke 15, the stories of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost sons and daughters. And last time we covered the older son, and it was about um, self-righteousness, being upset that God was coming to sinners, and maybe versus the saints. And the key point last week was um, not, we can't earn God's blessing by our own self-righteousness. So, the true blessing that the father gave the younger son, where he waited and watched and actually ran, right? Ran to the prodigal son while he was still a long way off. The blessing really comes when there's true humility and repentance of the heart. So, that's what we're going to be talking about today. True repentance and humility, read this for you. Luke 15 fully illustrates how God views his estranged children who are separated from the creator, father, due to our selfish sin nature. We've discussed its sins of commission, those things we overtly do, and things of omissions, those things we fail to do, live up to, and what it looks like to repent. Both sons demonstrated a broken kind of slave relationship with their father, but the relationship was restored by the father, right? By these symbols of giving the prodigal son a robe of distinction, a ring of, of uh, power and authority and sandals that restored him from being a slave. So what is required of us? Oh, what is required of us is simply this, true humility and repentance. So the interesting, the uh, those of you that are new, you're coming in at the tail end of the trilogy of the prodigal son story. Um, it's kind of left open, right? The father goes out to the older son and says, come in. There's celebration for your son. This uh, brother of yours was lost, but now he's found. And the other older son is, uh, is in a transactional mindset, right? Here I've done all these things, and here's this son is taking her wealth and spent it, and I haven't even got a goat to celebrate with. He's upset. And it's interesting, the uh, parable ends right there. <laughs> we don't really know what happens to the older son. We don't really know. So it's really a question of what's going to happen. And I believe... Uh, the prodigal son, the younger son, shows true humility and repentance, and it's demonstrated by him, the path to repentance. I'm going to introduce to you the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. You guys have heard of that before, right? 
Alcoholics Anonymous, and the 12 Steps. So we must get literally sober. This is what the younger son did. He came to his senses. He got sober in his acknowledgement of his transgressions. What does he say? I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and say, I've sinned against you. Yes, I have. And heaven. I've sinned against you and heaven. He had a very sober uh, view of his actions and all the consequences of them. Very reminiscent of Psalm 51 when uh, King David said the same thing after his sin with Bathsheba, him committing murder, adultery, lying, all these list litany of things. And then he was finally confronted and he confesses in Psalm 51, I have sinned against God, you and heaven for these things. So the younger son repents and turns from his sin. His sins of commission, we talked about before, power, position, pleasure, possessions, all the things that money could buy. And then the older son may be performance and position as the older son. And sins of omission, if we compare the older son to the father's heart, he missed the mark of what the father wanted him to do. He was indeed still a long way off. Our selfish nature was broken, uh, the relationship with others and a holy, holy God. But God's grace restores the son, us sons and daughters. I put G, uh, uh, G-I-G stands for like picture in picture. <laughs> uh, uh, Luke 15, the prodigal son and story is often called the gospel within the gospel. So it's worth uh, looking at um, the parables of the lost coin, sheep, and sons, and daughters very closely. This restoration of relationship is signified, as I mentioned, with a robe of dignity, ring of authority, and sandals of restoration. So again, our job is simply to repent and turn towards God. We can't restore ourselves, but our job is to turn. And in this beautiful story, it depicts even while the son was a long way off, God runs to meet him and meet us. The younger son shows how to reconcile, how to get to reconciliation and the celebration. So here's step one in the 12-step program. We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors and that our lives have become unmanageable. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of that. A few of you? Yeah? In AA, of course, it says alcoholism. Um, but these steps are definitely parallel to biblical principles. So here at Parallels, I'm proposing uh, the title of this series could be called The Particle Sun Does the 12 Steps Home. So we're going to cover uh, most of these steps. I'm not sure how many weeks we're going to spend on each step. But this is the first one, humility. We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, or in this context, sin. All right? And our lives have become um, unmanageable. Backed up with the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, 718. 
For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I end up doing. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. See, the Apostle Paul, right there, has taken step one. <laughs> He's admitted his, this nature within. And step two is coming to hope. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's step two in the 12-step program. So let's take a look a little closer. Luke 15, just a reminder, the parable of the prodigal son and his brother. The son was a long way off, right? Verse 14 says, I'll just summarize, he had spent everything, that is uh, half of his father's inheritance. A A severe famine took place throughout the whole region, and he began to become in need. So he went out and hired himself out. I like to say he sold himself out to one of the citizens in that region who sent him to, what, feed the pigs. And as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, that was a, an aberrant, crazy thing for a Jewish person to do was to not only be around pigs, but to feed pigs. And guess what? He wanted to eat the, the feed that he was feeding the pigs. In other words, he had hit, what do they say in 12-step programs? You have to hit bottom, right? You have to hit bottom before you turn around. So here's a quote. Kind of goes along with the same thing. Some of these quotes, just like the Apostle Paul, are tongue twisters. And uh, here's another one that they say in addiction theory. It's not until the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. People will often stay in their addiction and sin. I'll say it again because I don't know if you're like my brain. It takes like five times to (laughs) repeat that to actually make sense. It's not until the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change that people will often uh, stay in their sin and addiction. In other words, um, as long as they're going off to a far-off land, all right, it's not until they hit bottom like this particle sun that that pain, that change looked more attractive than starving. So he was starving. He sold himself. He hit bottom. Now, gosh, these years are... I don't know, uh, does it feel like the years are flying by to, to some of you? I used to say it's been 15 years since I was pastoring at Elk Grove Baptist Church. It's probably like 18 years now, almost 20 years. So we used to do a thing uh, that, you know, the church was so large that we would get kind of emergency calls in, and why just leave it on the senior pastor to do everything, right? So we would uh, sign up for pastor of the day, right? Okay, so we would be the pod of the day. So people would come up and ask for handouts, um, whatever, emergency counseling, crisis counseling, we would triage, right? Uh, Just emergency things that would come up. So one day I was pastor of the day, and talk about hitting bottom, Um. This lady called and was asking for some resources 
for a hotel or a motel. And, uh, you know, sometimes we have a limit, and we have to get the story. And then she just broke down and, and said she had just sold herself. She had hit bottom. She had hit bottom. So that reminded me of this prodigal son story when he hit bottom and he sold himself out. Things are real. Sometimes the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. It's not until that pain changes is worse than, than, than the pain of change that someone will start changing. We discussed the slippery slope of characters in the Bible. The slippery slope of, of angst and anger going off to a far-off land. We talked about Martha and Mary. Martha's angst, remember? Martha's angst of uh, throwing Mary under the bus in front of company, <laughs> right? Might be something simple, but just like the story of the prodigal son stories, we don't really know what happens to the older son. So it kind of challenges us. What happens in these stories? Martha threw Mary under the bus, and Jesus says, Mary, Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the better way. And then it ends there. We get the story of Jonah, Jonah's anger. Remember Jonah, Jonah and the whale, child story? He was uh, charged with speaking a word of warning to the city of the evil city of Nineveh. Then he went, and went off and rebelled against God and got, had a timeout in the belly of a whale. Then he goes and preaches the, the warning to Nineveh, and Nineveh repents to his great surprise. And it's interesting. Scripture says he's angry. <laughs> it didn't seem right, it says, in his own mind of right and wrong and justice that God would have mercy and we don't know what happened to Jonah. He was angry. We do know what happened to Cain, right? Cain and Abel, right? Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel, let's see, Adam and Eve's first offspring. Abel's offering to God was accepted to God. Accepted. And Cain's offering was not accepted. Now, do we think he was a victim? Later on, it says, God says, Cain, if you do what is right, will not your offering be accepted as well? So we know that Cain did not do the right thing. But at the time, Cain burned with anger. He was hurt, right, at his brother maybe being favored over him. And we know what happened to him. His anger moved to literally murder, literally murder. So this older son in the prodigal son story, his, unfair, his perceived unfairness hurt real or imagined. We don't know what happened. But hitting bottom, we have to think, we have to think of, we may have outward success, but we have to think, how are our relationships around us? The question is, how is it working for us? How is it working for Martha? 
How is it working for Jonah? How is it working for Cain? How is it working for the older son? So we're going to dive one last slide into scripture that's a deep, deep dive. Okay? Jot down Romans 7. Romans 7, 14. And this is expanding on the Apostle Paul's tongue twister of admitting that we are powerless over our sin nature. I had to read this, read this many, many times, and you'll probably have to read it a couple times on your own as well, but I'll do my best to explain it today. The Apostle Paul continues, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual. The law, he's referring to the Ten Commandments, I assume. But I am unspiritual. Okay, see if we can follow his logic. Okay, I, could, I can understand that. Okay, God's holiness is spiritual, and I am carnal. Right? The law is spiritual, I am unspiritual. Okay, I'm buying into his logic here. Uh, sold as a slave to sin. So this is, is speaking that our whole nature we have a sinful nature inherited from Adam and Eve, um, far from the holiness of God. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. I stumbled on that for a second there this morning. But let's, let's read that again. If I do, 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. For, uh, in the, uh, right before that, 15, for what I want to do, I do not do, but I do what I hate. What I hate, I do. So he's saying, in my mind, I want to have a spiritual heart. I want to have a holy heart. Okay? I want to have a holy heart. But I don't want to do it. So I want to have the mind of God. I want to be on God's side. But in my body, I don't do what I want to do. So I'm agreeing that the law is convicting me. The law is good. The law is holy. It's convicting me. As it is, in 17, he says... It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I've always stumbled on this verse, <laughs> right? Because it, it seems like it, it gives up responsibility, personal responsibility. But I don't think that's what it's trying to teach. If we look at it, at it as a whole, um, in context, it makes more sense. Verse 17, again. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know... That good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, okay? I have the desire to be, have the heart of mind of God, but I cannot carry it out. Here he's admitting that I am far from the heart of God. I am not a holy, holy God. I am carnal. I fall, I'm selfish, I'm sin. I have a, 
I have a sin nature, a bent towards selfishness. In 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Ooh, this is a tongue twister, isn't it? <laughs> Goodness. Okay. Now, if I do not want, if I, in verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living within me that does it. So again, it sounds a little offensive, right? Because it sounds like he's like, the devil made me do it. <laughs> it's not me. It, I don't think that that's what it's trying to say. But he's trying to say that this is the work that's going on in the struggle that's going inside all of us. Once we are saved by God and we're moving toward God, right? God is in the process of purifying us. And this is what he's trying to describe. In wrapping this up here, he's saying, verse 21, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Okay, there it is. So that, this is his heart and motivation. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law that's work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Prodigal son, older son, off in a far-off land. Martha, Cain, all these people, us. What is required of us is simply that we are humble and turn toward God. And then the Apostle Paul says, what a wretched man I am. There's that word, wretched what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Apostle Paul took step one along with the prodigal son of our 12-step program here. And that is humility. Or what we call sober. He was sober about his nature. He was realistic about his nature. Humility over our sin versus God's holiness. You see, when we compare ourselves to other people, right, it's a little hard to swallow <laughs> calling ourselves wretched. <laughs> it's a little hard, right? Because maybe we feel like, I don't know, we're good church people or we're not so bad compared to our neighbors. But when we compare ourselves to God, the standard, that's where all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That's where the older son thought he was self-righteous. Yeah, in comparison, I've never left you. I've stayed at home. I didn't spend all your wealth on, on wild living. And we can identify with that older son, that sense of righteousness. But compared to God's holiness, we go, whoa. I admit I'm there. I admit I'm there. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over our sin, addictions, and compulsive behaviors, and our lives have become unmanageable. 
All right, wrapping this up, bringing this home. Step one, the parable of the repentant sinner. He needs to do, we need to do step one, humility. Admit we are powerless over our sin, our sin nature. Step two, that's described in this story, is having hope. Is having hope. It says in, the, it says in uh, Luke 15, 17, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, sober, how many in my father's house have reconciled? How many in my father's house have food to eat? The older son, we don't know if he's going to come to his senses. Here he is, starving in bitterness, tension, outside the house of reconciliation. But what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the beautiful illustration of salvation, the beginnings of salvation in the prodigal son story. We must get sober, come to our senses, acknowledge our sin nature in humility, if we're truly honest, our selfish sin nature has broken relationships with God and other people. The Apostle Paul laments that we just read, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God restores us as sons and daughters with a robe of dignity, a ring of power, and sandals as sons and daughters. So I'm going to close with uh, a little four-minute video on the background to Amazing Grace, okay? Amazing Grace, run by John Newton, a former slave ship um, sailor. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And as I play this, it's just a, a little background as we kind of prepare our hearts and minds for step one. We're going to be taking communion together is we simply need to be humble and realistic as we compare ourselves to God's holiness. On a lighter note, I know that was heavy. <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> I warned you that was a little heavy. We'll end with a AGT video, okay? So, uh, on a lighter note, um, See, applying, how to, how to apply this? I remember I was about 20, I don't know, something years old. I, have, I had served on every committee role in this particular church. Worship leader, moderator, uh, everything. Board chairperson. And I remember at one point in my life, I, I could have started to become prideful, right? Doing things for God, um, 
kingdom building, trying to build up the church and things like that. And I remember at one point in my life, I didn't get particularly more sinful at this particular time. It didn't come about that way. But God, I just have this view of God zoomed out <laughs> on his holiness. And uh, th this was a particular time that I, I, probably, I had a hard time saying that saved a wretch like me. I had a hard time saying that. But God zoomed out. I felt this literal uh, God giving me an idea of his own holiness. And when I saw a view of God's holiness, the more I realized the contrast between who I was as a person and God's holiness. Then another image um, that I have is the royal family, right? Any of you follow what's, is it Prince Charles is now King Charles, right? Recently inaugurated, like, last couple weeks or something like that, right? Recently, recently. I always thought, find it interesting that these high and mighty royal family look on video on, on their Christmas worship time, right? They're Catholic, and so they have Christmas mass. And I just, it's such, such a contrast in terms of all this royal regalia. You got the queen and the prince and all these other duchesses and you know, princes. Everybody's there, and they're singing Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's an interesting sight to see these royal people singing this before God. Today's, we took step one. We humbly admitted that we were powerless over our nature. And step two is having hope. Having hope that God can restore us to holiness. And as we just celebrated, um, we have to remind ourselves. Actually, that's why we do this. We, celebrate, we celebrated Easter just a month ago. That God was victorious over sin and death and this nature within so actually, the victory is already ours, and God can restore us to uh, the men and women that he wants us to be.